Okay, two. Most people would be a bit alarmed to find that their parents had disappeared along the whole bunch of uncharted islands. They might feel inclined to phone the police or the Coast Guard or just run about shouting. Not Oliver. He was crisp and made of sterner stuff than that. He hadn't panicked when his baby buggy was carried off by an eagle on expedition on the forgotten Mesa. He hadn't lost his cool when his parents took him on the ill-advised cycling trip around the crater of Mount Firebelly, but it was supposed to be an extinct volcano Dad had yelled while lava bombs bounced off their cycling helmets. He'd barely batted an eyelid when a bear stole his sleeping bag on the north face of Mount Rainer. He barely batted one now, just ran downstairs and out to the beach, looking around in case his parents had come ashore without him noticing. But the beach in the wintry afternoon sun was a long and empty and completely parent-free. The orange dean rasped against the sand down on the foreshore where the small waves kept spreading neat doilies of foam underneath it. Oliver pulled up further up the beach and wondered what to do. Then he noticed that there was still one island left in the bay. It was the littlest and lowest and least interesting of them. The one his mum and dad had gnawed, but when they went motoring off to explore the taller ones, even from the shore with the low sun shining in his eyes, Oliver could see that they were not on it, but perhaps it held a clue to where they'd gone. He ran to the Explorer-mobile and packed a rucksack with useful things. Then he locked the house up and put a note on the front door, which read, Back soon. How he hoped he would be. He scampered to the waiting to the dinghy, waited, and shoved it into the sea again, wap wap wet the waves, and slapping it blunt, blunt orange nose, Oliver heaved himself abroad. aboard. He couldn't work the outboard motor because his arms weren't strong enough to tug the starter cord, but there were oars stowed neatly on the bottom boards and they pulled them out and started rowing. It didn't take him long to reach the island where he pulled up the dinghy on the sheltered shoreward side. The island was just as small as it looked from the beach. Clumps of greyish glass sighed softly as the sea wind stirred them. There were snaggles of driftwood, vestims of weed and length of told rope. There was a ramshackle heap of twigs balanced on the pile of boulders which were the highest place on the island. That was all. It took Oliver less than a minute to walk across the island to the far shore where he stood looking out to sea. All his hopes of finding clues faded like the foam which kept washing around his toes and melting into the wet sand. Mum! He shouted. Dad! The echoes came back at him from the cliffs around the bay. Echoes, but still no reply. Mum! He shouted louder. Dad! Oh, put a sock in it, won't you? Grumbled a creaky voice behind him. Some of us are trying to sleep. A pair of beady blue eyes were glaring at Oliver over the brim of that tweak head on the island's crown. The heap was a nest and the eyes belonged to the bird who owned it. But birds don't talk, protested Oliver. Parrots do, the bird said. Not really, not properly, Oliver protested. And anyway, you're not a parrot. Indeed, I'm not, the bird sniffed. It stood up in its nest and spread its enormous, dirty white wings. I'm a wandering albatross, Demeter Axons. Though you may call me Mr. Clipper. And now you had the best get back to shore or you will be a wanderer too. What does that mean? Wondered Oliver. Tss, the bird said. Don't they teach you youngsters anything these days? Not all islands stay where you put them. Some move about. Here one minute, gone the next. This is one of them. That's why I'm not nested on it, of course. I'm not stupid. Why go flapping around the world when I can just roost here and let the island do the wandering? Oliver looked down at the island. Between his feet, he saw rock and sand and grit and dune grass and down, ground down seashells. 
It didn't look as if it was going anywhere. How do they move? He asked. Who cares? Said Mr. Clodpepper, shrugging his wings. Where are they going? Who knows? Said Mr. Clodpepper. But all the others have gone already. So this one won't stay much longer. And as he spoke, the island shuddered. Small stones spilled and rattled and trickling down. Hop in your boat and be off with you, said the albatross. No, said Oliver. Not me. I'm staying. Wherever those islands went, I must go too. My mum and dad were on one of them, CC. That noisy couple, said Mr. Culpepper. Suit yourself, but you'd better be off without them if you want my opinion. Oliver wasn't listening anymore. The island lurched, almost throwing him off his feet. He crouched down. He curled his fingers and toes into the sand like roots clinging on. The island sank a little. Water bubbled whitely around its edges. Then it turned slowly around and started to move out Deepwater Bay, following the golden pathway that the evening sun had painted on the waves. As soon as he was used to the movement, Oliver ran round to where he left his boat and made sure it was still safe above the tide line. Looking back, he watched the shore fall swiftly behind. A fiery shard of the sunset reflected for a moment from the window of his own bedroom and he felt very sad that he would not be sleeping there that night. He almost launched the boat and rowed back to the beach. It was not too far, not quite, not yet, but there would be no point in going home without him, mum and dad. Without them, it wasn't really home at all. So he turned his back on it and watched the sun dipped into the western sea and ate a sandwich. What's that you're eating? asked Mr. Culpepper. Tuna mayonnaise, said Oliver. The albatross snorted, you fangled mug. He spread his wings and sought out an ocean in the twilight, dipping down to snatch a fish out of the waves. Oliver sat watching the empty sea, hoping for a glimpse of the other islands. He watched it until it grew too dark to see anything at all. Then he curled up in a grassy space among the rocks and put his rucksack under his head for a pillow and slept. All through the night, the island kept moving and Oliver slept soundly, soothed by the island's steady motion and the snore of the sea upon its shores. Then, through his dreams, he heard another sound. Doof! It went, ow! Oliver sprang away. The sky was palest grey and the few last stars were fading. A wind from the west whispered the grasses. Bother, said someone nearby. It wasn't Mr. Culpepper. The albatross was still sleeping, safe in the scruffy nest with his head stuffed under his wing. Mom? said Oliver, hopefully. Dad? He clambered over to the rocks to the beach. They were on the shore and sat a mermaid rubbing his nose. Who put this island here? she asked. Not me, said Oliver. He'd never seen a mermaid before. In fact, he thought they had just been stories. But then he'd seen a moving island or a talking diamond axis until yesterday. So he wasn't as surprised as he might have been. The mermaid seemed to be about his own age and start, she was starting to get a black eye. There I was swimming along minding my own business, she said. And suddenly, there's an island in the way. It's a danger to shipping, that's what it is. It's a wonder why I wasn't knocked unconscious. Have you seen any other islands? Asked Oliver. My mum and dad are on them and looking for them. Sorry, said the mermaid. I didn't even see this one. My eyesight isn't very good. I can hardly see you. Come over here. You're just a blur. Oliver went closer. The mermaid frowned at him with vague blue eyes. Well, she said, you're an odd looking character. Oliver thought that it seemed pretty rich coming from someone who was at least half fish and thought he was a polite boy and did not try to argue. Instead, he said, my name's Oliver. Mine's Iris, said the mermaid. You don't know a place called Farsight Cove, do you? I was told there was a beach, opt a beach optician there. That's where I was going when your silly island got in my way. This was not the first time her short-sightedness had got Iris into trouble. Apart from anything else, it made other mermaids laugh at her. 
Well, it was one thing that made them laugh, and all her sisters and cousins were beautiful creatures with eyesight as clear as the singing voices, and they liked to sit on rocks and comb in hand and mirror in the other and sing eerie songs at passing sailors. Perhaps it was a mermen were all rather dull, stay-at-home sorts who didn't much like mermaid's company, preferred to lounge around in grottoes reading newspapers and discussing the latest finball results. At any rate, the mermaids enjoyed the thought of all the sailors going home and telling everyone about the lovely mermaids who had sung to them and been haunted by their singing even after, ever after. Iris was nothing like that at all. She was rather plump and she could never remember where she put her comb and mirror, and she could never see the point of sitting on rocks and caterwauling all day. The one time she tried singing to a handsome fisherman in his boat, it turned out to not be a handsome fisherman or a boat at all, just a passing walrus. Sorry, she told it. From a distance, you looked like a little brown boat with a man sitting in it. Hmm? said the walrus. You need to get your eyes tested, dear. And it was told her about the beach optician at Far Cove, Farsight Cove. Oliver had heard about this beach optician too. He remembered his mum and dad talking about the dotty old man who wheeled his barrow of eye charts and instruments and glasses down the path to the cove each day and sat there on the sand waiting for mermaids. They had laughed and shaken their heads because they didn't believe in mermaids. Oliver looked hard at Iris and decided that there was no way he couldn't believe in her. Farsight Cove is quite close to Deepwater Bay, he told her, but they must be miles and miles away by now. This island is moving, you see. It's been moving all night. Of course it has, said Iris. It's one of the rambling isles. The what? The rambling isles. They're not really islands at all. They're alive, although they're made of stone. They wander the oceans and they're always getting mistaken for ordinary islands, but really they're more like big stony giants. Ah, said Oliver. Well, where is it going? How on earth should I know? asked Iris. You really do say the strangest things. I expect it's rambling around collecting stuff. That's what Ramble Isles do, but I suppose you could always ask it. Oliver looked around, bewildered. How could he ask rocks and stones and grass where they're going? Well, he could ask them, but how could he expect them to reply? Oh, I'll do it, said Iris wearily. She slapped the rock, nearest rock as hard as she could. Hello! She shouted. The movement of the island changed. It slowed and turned from side to side. Mr. Culpepper woke up with a squawk and demanded to know what was happening. Slowly, the island lifted from the sea and there was a rush and gurgle of falling water draining from the edges. It rose cliff high and the wave rolled past it far below. Oliver ran to the raggedy edge and looked over. He saw that the island was really just the top of a vast stony head and the grass was its hair. Water ran down its face, limpets stumbled its cheeks, and seaweed and old carrier bags were tangled with bushy eyebrows. Two big eyes peered up at Oliver. <laughs>